Oh, I remember those days so well. I can remember uh, dedicating uh, our children and going through that when you're just thinking, you know, can I just make it through? Will they not pray so long? Can we just, you know, so we can get back to our seats? And so, hey, you did great, uh, parents, and it's a, it's a privilege to be, to be involved in that uh, with you. Uh, well, for the past uh, few weeks, we've been in a series called Politically Incorrect Statements of Jesus, and we've been looking at statements that Jesus made that did not sit well uh, with those that heard him make those statements with their own ears, and indeed, they don't sit well for many of us who read these statements uh, in the New Testament 2,000 years uh, later. And uh, just like when Jesus uh, made those statements, uh, they were not invalidated simply because they were not well received by the audience. It would really do well, I think, for uh, many uh, pastors across our country today to recognize that. That just the fact that something is not necessarily received well by people does not invalidate what, be, what is being preached, what's being taught. In fact, one presidential candidate in our recent election used the phrase, the hope of the earth, to describe the United States of America. I want to ask you this morning, and you don't need to blurt out the answer. I know some of you have pretty strong opinions about these things. Uh, Is that really true? Is America really the hope of the earth? I would submit to you that Jesus Christ made it very, very clear that it was not the United States of America that was the hope of the earth. Jesus made it quite clear that he was the hope of the earth. He was the hope. Not politicians sitting in Washington or sitting in Raleigh, but Jesus Christ is the hope of the earth. And we're going to see that in our text this morning. If there's one thing that's certainly not politically correct in our society, though, it is this idea of exclusivity. The idea that you or someone else has the corner on truth. In fact, people uh, don't really like the idea or do like the idea that all roads ultimately lead home. Uh, Further, we like the idea that home is paradise, is heaven. And no matter what road we travel, that ultimately that's where we end up. Uh, We prefer the notion, uh, as one author wrote recently, we prefer the notion that in the end, Love actually wins out. In the end, there is actually no eternal punishment and that we're all going to spend eternity in a place that we can imagine to be whatever it is that makes us happy. You ever heard somebody to say to the question, what is heaven? And somebody give the answer. In fact, somebody that's supposed to know better will give the answer. Heaven is whatever makes you happy. Now think about that for just a moment. If heaven were actually just whatever makes you happy, what would heaven be for you today? I'm not going to tell you what it would be for me. But some of us like that idea that that's what heaven is. Heaven is whatever is going to make us happy. In fact, we prefer the way to heaven to be similar to a GPS, where you just simply put in the destination and you receive many routes that ultimately lead you to where you want to go. Now, I know with with my iPhone, if I put an address in, it will give me usually about three different options. One will be the shortest route. One will be the fastest route, and they aren't necessarily the same. And then I have noticed that sometimes there'll even be a route 
that is kind of a combination of the two, but it will avoid the toll roads if I don't want to pay any tolls along the, route, uh, along the route. And that sounds to me eerily similar to the way that many believe it works when we determine what our eternal destination will be. In fact, this morning, and you're going to need to pay attention to me because I'm going to have to really rip it right through this material this morning, all right? But I want to start with a simple point of logic, and it is the law of non-contradiction. Basically, the law states that two contradictory claims cannot be true at the same time and in the same sense. In other words, it's like this. Both A and not A cannot be true. They're mutually exclusive claims, and one of them is true and one of them is not true. And along the way, we learn something about the nature of truth by definition That truth is, in and of itself, it is exclusive. If a statement is true, then it is exclusively so, and all other claims to the contrary are false. Okay? doesn't really matter if you don't want to hurt your child's feelings when they say 2 plus 2 is 5, because it ain't. Right? 2 plus 2 is 4. That's the fact. doesn't make it just because you say it's 5, doesn't make it 5. It is 4. Now, the idea that all religions are right was originally espoused by a man by the name of John Hicks in the form of an analogy. Many of you have heard it before. We don't need to spend a lot of time on it this morning. It's an analogy about an elephant and three blind men. You've heard it, right? He said that if these blind men were trying to figure out what an elephant was by touch, they would describe it in different ways. The one touching the leg might say that it was a tree. The one touching an ear might say that it was a fan. The one touching the tail might say that it's a rope. And in the same way, he claimed that all religions are glimpses into supreme reality. They're all right. Well, it's a really cool analogy, and it's a really fun game to play, but uh, it's wrong on at least three fronts. The first problem with the analogy is that all three men were wrong, right? (laughs) Just because they thought it was a rope, it's not a rope, right? We know that. Just because they thought it was a fan doesn't make it a fan. Just because they thought it was a tree doesn't make it a tree. We know that in the analogy, they were all wrong. None of it was actually true. The second problem, one author has said, with Hicks' theory is that it contradicts the law of non-contradiction, which says that something cannot be A and non-A at the same time. A fan is not a tree, is not a rope, right? Can't be all three at the same time. But the third problem is the most interesting, and that is that the analogy only is possible if there is a fourth person in it. Three blind men and one other person with eyes who can see the entire reality of what is happening. Now, the person who uses the John Hicks analogy to argue that all religions are essentially right without realizing it is identifying with that fourth person who has the ability to be able, with his eyes, to be able to see reality as it really is. And on what vantage point can you make such a, such a radical claim, even arrogant claim? You can only do this if you are the way or if you believe that the one who said he was the way actually is the way. Now, I know that's a lot for early on a Sunday morning, but that's where we need to start with a baseline about truth. You saying it is true does not necessarily make it true. And so our question today is, where is the hope of the earth? And what is the right way to eventually end up where many of us, if not all of us this morning, ultimately want to be? 
There are literally hundreds of religious movements uh, in the world today, all of them claiming to be the way. And this morning, if you pull out of your bulletin there, you'll, you'll notice that I've given you a chart um, that you can't possibly read unless you have a magnifying glass with you, but it all does fit on one sheet. And maybe some of you will take an opportunity to study that uh, a little more closely under a magnifying glass a little later from now. Uh, but this morning, I've provided that for you, and I worked up that little chart because I want you to see a comparison of just seven of those literally hundreds, if not thousands, of world religions. These are major world religions. And while we don't have the time to look at them individually uh, this morning, I want to make several observations. Uh, Number one is this. You'll notice that all of them were founded by a human being just like us, or at the very least, they rely upon human logic and wisdom for their foundation with the exception of one, and that is biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity stands solely on the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Number two, it's also important to note that all of these world religions rely on the works or good deeds that we do with one exception. By the way, we could compare this to hundreds, if not thousands, of religious movements across the globe. Biblical Christianity teaches that it's all about the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and his resurrection that brings salvation from our human condition that we call sin. In fact, 1 John 4.10 says it this way, that salvation comes because it's not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son. So it's nothing about us. It's all about him. Every other major world religion at some point puts you in the driver's seat, that you have to do certain things, that you have to perform certain functions, and if you don't, then your eternal destiny is at risk. That is everything except biblical Christianity. Number three, while most religions see Jesus Christ as nothing more than an historical figure who happened to be a good man and a capable teacher, biblical Christianity stands out in that we teach that he was the very Son of God and not just a good man and not just a good teacher, but he was the Savior of the world. James Montgomery Boyce said this, There are many offensive things about Christianity, at least for some people, but the chief offense of Christianity is its founder and his extraordinary claims. It is true that the claims of Jesus of Nazareth Nazareth, often are not spoken of or taken at face value. When that happens, it's possible to present Jesus as the lovely, indulgent rabbi who was everyone's friend. James Montgomery Boyce goes further to say, but sooner or later his claims about himself become known and the offense emerges. And that is exactly what happened and what continues to happen today when we read what Jesus said about himself in our text this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of John, chapter 14, uh, to a passage that if you are a churchgoer, certainly if probably if you've been to a Christian funeral, you have heard this passage read. We oftentimes go to it for comfort, at least for the first few verses. We like it. We like the truth that it says until we get down to about verse 6. Let me set the stage for you this morning. Jesus has just predicted Uh, to his disciples, his betrayal. And his disciples are very worried and they're concerned about what's going to happen next. They're they're confused. They realize that their three-year relationship with Jesus is just about to come to an end. And so Jesus speaks to them to kind of calm them down and to bring hope in what appeared to them to be a hopeless situation. And that's where we see ourselves in chapter 14 and verse 1. Look what the text says. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. 
In my father's house, there are many dwelling places. Some translations say there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way I'm going. I love verse 5, transitional verse. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, and how can we know the way? Thomas really had a very great question. This sounds good. We're going to go to heaven. You're going to prepare a place for us. And, 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 and really, finally, there's going to be a reward for us, for all that we've put up with as we've traveled around with you and, and we've suffered this persecution. Finally, there's going to be this place, and this is going to be awesome. But I have one question. Now, remember, we know Thomas as who? Doubting Thomas. <laughs> so the rest of the guys undoubtedly are sitting there going, uh, yeah, I got the question too, but I'm not going to say it. Right? So I, I have a theory that they're always, always kind of looking at Thomas going, you ask. He expects you to ask it. You know? Kind of like the cereal commercial that you used to watch, you know, let's get Mikey. He'll eat everything. And you just kind of poke it in his mouth. Let's get Thomas to ask. He's always doubting anyway. He'll, he'll ask the question. And so Thomas doesn't disappoint. He goes, one question. How do we get there? You're telling us that you're going someplace. We're not really comfortable with that. We don't really think that's a good idea. Pete's already made that really known to you. We don't think that that's a good idea. That really doesn't need to happen. Peter's got a better plan, right? Known as the disciple with the foot-shaped mouth. He's always got a better plan, even than the Son of God. And so we don't know where you're going. How are we going to get there? This all sounds really great and exciting, but if we don't know how to get there, what good is it? Now, this is a baffling text for me in one sense, and I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way. It's amazing that these men have walked with Jesus along the way, and they've heard him teach, probably at this point, hundreds of hours of teaching. Not from some just mere man. They have heard the Son of God teach people. (laughs) And here they are three years later, right before Jesus is about to be betrayed and ultimately will be crucified and and, and, and will suffer and die and shed his innocent blood for the sins of mankind. And they still don't understand the real reason why Jesus came. They still ultimately don't get the full gospel, the good news. And what's really cool is in one line, Jesus is going to give them the whole thing. Look at verse 6, because here's the politically incorrect statement that Jesus makes. Jesus said to him, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life, And no one comes to the Father but through me. Read that again. No one comes to the Father but through me. That doesn't sound like all roads eventually lead to paradise, right? (laughs) You may get there just a little bit differently than I get there, but hey, one day we'll go, hey, how'd you come? I came this way, you came that way, but hey, we all ended up here. Doesn't sound like that, does it? It sounds like Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth, I am the life, and you're only going to get to the Father. You're only going to get there through me. I believe that that is the most clarifying declaration that Jesus made while he walked upon planet Earth. And I really wish we had an hour this morning just to stop here and talk about the theological ramifications of this particular verse. You see, there are so many religions that accept God. You'll see on that chart there this morning. But they either reject Jesus simply, or they simply see him as a moral teacher or prophet. And yet, he is declaring here 
with no uncertainty that the only way you get to God is through me. And so you cannot sit here this morning and say, I believe in God, but this whole Jesus thing, I'm not, I'm not really into that. You can't say that. Jesus himself said, I am the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, the only way to get to God, the only way to enjoy a relationship with your creator God is through his son, and that's me. I'm Jesus Christ. Now here's the problem. If I were to get on TV today and get the attention of 300 million Americans, and I would boldly proclaim to them that Jesus is the way, that's the only way, that's the only way that you get to God. You know yourselves, that is incredibly politically incorrect. Jesus makes a statement of exclusivity that there is no way to forgiveness of sin, to eternal life, to salvation, the presence of God, the kingdom of God, to get to heaven except through him. And our human condition that we call sin is fatal without Jesus. You see, you could be here this morning and you could think you're good enough. You can think that you have given enough money, that you have helped enough people, that you've lived a relatively moral life, and yet to die without a personal relationship with Jesus is to be eternally disappointed. We are alienated from God. We are ignorant of the truth. We are condemned to spiritual and eventually physical death. And the text this morning is the pure gospel message, the good news. Instead of alienation, there is a way to God. Instead of ignorance and wandering aimlessly in this life, there is truth and it's found in Jesus. And instead of death, spiritually and ultimately physically, there is real life. Not just now, but for eternity. But it's a statement of exclusivity. But it's a statement of great hope and great freedom. It's a, it's a very offensive statement to those that are confronted with the gospel truth. Most people don't like the idea that Jesus is the only way. Now, here's what you have not heard me say this morning. You, you don't see on the comparison of world religions, uh, Baptists and Presbyterians and Lutherans and Methodists and all that. We're not talking about organized religion here this morning. What we're talking about is who Jesus is. And what we must do in order to have a personal relationship with the God we were created to enjoy. Simply outlined, he gave three very exclusive statements about himself. And I want to look at them just briefly in these uh, last few moments that we have together. Number one, he said, I am the way. You'll notice there in your notes, there's an R, reconciliation. He is the way. He provides reconciliation. Reconciliation in, 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 in what sense? That there is a human condition that is called sin that has separated us from God. It's, it's like this morning, husbands and wives, you can relate to this, although everybody can in one particular sense, and in a relationship with a friendship, when you have something that stands between you and another per- person. Guys, don't you know when you walk in the house at night, you've done something, and you know that things just aren't quite right? Anybody else there with me? Don't you just know that? Isn't there just an instinct? No, just for me. It's just, just me. But for me, okay, for me, I know that. I know when I need reconciliation. Let me ask you this morning, do you? Do you know that in a spiritual sense, you are dead in your trespasses and sins? Or have you bought into the idea that we are basically just good people? You see, we need reconciliation. And that's the only way that ultimately we will end up for eternity with God in heaven is if we do something about this problem that's called sin. 
Romans 3.23 said that we're all sinners and we have fallen short of the mark, which is God's holiness. We need to be rescued. We need to be shown the way. We need to find out how to be reconciled to this God who created us, who wants us to enjoy a relationship with him. It's important for you to note, while it's politically incorrect, that Jesus does not say he is a way. He says he's what? He is the way. All religious dogma does not ultimately lead to the same place. Jesus said, I am the truth, and I am the way. Number two, he said, I am the truth. In other words, he gives us illumination. He did not say that he had come to tell them truth or to point them to truth about his Father, God. He said, I am the truth. Now, for those of you this morning that maybe have been part of religious movements who deny the deity of Christ, I don't know how you can do that and hold to the truth in Scripture. Do you? Jesus said, I am the truth. If God is truth, then I am truth because he and I are one. And you don't get to him except coming through me. Can you imagine the religious leaders of the day when Jesus made that claim, when he made that declaration? By the way, I am the way, I am the truth. You can never have a relationship with this God that you say you believe in unless you come through me, his son. John 10.30 said, I'm, I and the Father are one. John 14.9, who has, he who has seen me has seen the Father. Those that would deny the deity of Jesus, there it is. You don't know God unless you know Jesus. Don't say that you believe in God. Don't say that you're a good moral person and discount Jesus. You cannot know God unless you know Jesus. He is the truth. And what truth do we learn about God through Jesus? We learn that he's a personal God. It's the whole idea, by the way, of the incarnation, which I love. Don't you? Don't you love the idea that God came down to us? We're going to celebrate that in just a few weeks at Christmas, that he wanted a relationship with us. Stop for just a moment and think about that. The God of the universe wanted a relationship with you, so much so that he sent his son to live amongst mankind. Would you do that if you were God? Not a chance for me. Not a chance. The nicest one of us here this morning, I would not be interested. If I was God, I would have nothing to do with me. Nothing. I would see me as insignificant. And yet God, because he is personal, don't miss it this morning. In fact, Christmas will be so much more meaningful to you this year if you grasp the truth of the incarnation, that God is a personal God, that he wants a relationship with you. He's not some distant cosmic force out there just waiting for us to mess up and going, ha, 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 That's our view of God for so many of us. I mess up, it's kind of like a little dog that's been kicked, you know. That's not God, he's personal. And as Jesus came to live amongst us, we're able to enjoy that and to know that. He is the illumination of that truth. Jesus also reveals that God is a God of mercy. He's a God of love. And so we see it demonstrated that, that God is not deaf to the cries of mankind. And even while requiring justice, God came to people willing to die for them in their place and provide peace and joy and goodness and all of the blessings of the Christian life. That is an incredible thing. 
God is personal, that God is a God of mercy. And Jesus being the truth illuminates us to those very facts about who he is. And number three, he said, I am the life. The R there is regeneration. I really love this last claim that Jesus made. I mean, it's, it's really great that he's the way, and I know the way to get to heaven, the, to ultimately have my, my sin debt taken care of. I'm glad that, that, that he provided that way. I'm glad that he's the truth, that he illuminates truth about the God of the universe, but I think I am most thankful that he's the life. He says, I am the life. For all who are spiritually dead and physically dying says, there's good news, Jesus says, I am the life. On this point, theologian Arthur Pink writes, the whole Bible bears solemn witness to the fact that the natural man is spiritually lifeless. He walks according to the course of this world. He has no love for the things of God. The fear of God is not upon him, nor has he any concern for his glory. Self is the center and and circumference of his existence. He is alive to the things of the world, but he is dead to heavenly things. The one who is out of Christ exists, but he has no spiritual life. I would say to you this morning, if you wonder why, as you look around at other people, you don't seem to have the life that they have. And by the way, I'm not talking about necessarily physical things that you possess. There's a good chance the reason is because you are spiritually dead. In fact, it's what the Apostle Paul was talking about. Some of you who who have been here enough time know this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, when he wrote to the church at Ephesus, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. That's bad news. He goes further to say, In which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. That's bad. Right? I mean, that's not what you want to hear at the end of a good weekend, right? That's who we were. That's who we are apart from Christ. We are are dead in our trespasses and sins. And I love verse 4. I would have really hated it if Paul had stopped at verse 3. That's bad. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. And he raised us up together with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. We were dead, but he has regenerated us. He has made made us alive. You see, our world struggles with Jesus' claim of exclusivity. Here's what you're going to find out as you do life with people who, uh, who don't know Jesus as their Savior. Here's what you're going to find to be true. See if you agree with me this morning. No one struggles with the idea of spirituality. Right? That's all fine. As long as you do your thing and you kind of do it over there, you know, and you, and you don't for sure take it into the public realm, right? Nobody struggles with that. Certainly nobody struggles with prayer. Isn't it amazing that when we go through times of, 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 uh, uh, of, of tragedy 
in our country, what's the first thing our political leaders call for us to do? Pray. Heck, sometimes they say, pray to whoever and pray whatever you want to do. Just pray. Right? Nobody struggles with that, the idea of prayer. That's a cool thing. Miracles, pray for a miracle. Nobody struggles with that. Healing, the supernatural, that's all fine. What they struggle with, what our world struggles with is exclusivity. That one religion is right and that one is wrong. That one sacred scripture is right and others are wrong. That one path to God is right and all others are to be eternally disappointed. The exclusivity of Christ is what is most disdained in our world today. Mark Driscoll said in a sermon that he preached uh, on this particular passage, the reason that Christians are considered at points narrow-minded is because we are. Because Jesus was and Jesus is. Jesus says, I am the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. He says it very simply, it's all about me. You need me. That's the bottom line. In fact, Paul wrote to young Pastor Timothy, for there is one God, And there is one mediator between God and man. That is the man, Christ Jesus. You know, some of us sit here this morning and we wonder what's missing in our life. I don't take for granted that you might be one of those people that comes here to Northwest week after week after week. And you believe in God. You do a lot of good things. I want to ask you this morning, but do you know Jesus? See, if you don't know Jesus, you are missing everything. I I didn't say that. I'm just simply saying what Jesus himself said. You can't get to God. You can't enjoy the relationship that you were created to to enjoy apart from Jesus. And and hear me say this, by the way. You don't need religion. (laughs) In the sense of Religion without Jesus is simply human beings trying to satisfy a longing that they can never satisfy without Jesus. And let me tell you what a sad thing this morning is happening all over our community, all over our state, all over our country, and all over this globe. There are people that are doing religious experiences all over the place, and they are doing them without Jesus. You wonder what's wrong with your life? Could it be that you've never really experienced real life, that you're still spiritually dead and you don't have the relationship that you were created to have? Jesus said, as I close, do you feel hungry and thirsty, never completely satisfied? Jesus said in John 6, 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and who who believes in me will never thirst. I didn't say that. Jesus said it. You feel hungry and thirsty, that's the way to get it. Do you feel like life is dark and life is confusing? Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 12, another I am statement. He said, I am the light of the world. If you feel like you're in darkness, come into a relationship with Jesus. Come into the light. You ever feel like this? You ever feel like sometimes you're in a box with no way out? No way to experience the joy and satisfaction that some others around you experience. You're just in this box and you're constantly looking for a way out. You know what Jesus said in John 10, 7? Jesus said, I'm the door. I'm the door. Open it. Come in. I am the way. Do you ever feel like you're alone, men? 
fact, a couple guys just this morning lost their job. You ever feel like life just kind of comes over the top of you and you feel like you're all alone? Does anybody care? Does anybody understand? Does anybody know? If you fell off the face of the earth, would anybody really ever miss you? You know what Jesus said? Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. I love that. I was in Turkey and Greece a few years ago, and I got to see these shepherds walking around on the hillside with stupid sheep, right? I mean, that's, that's what we are. I don't like the analogy in Scripture. I really don't want to be a stupid sheep. There's some pastors that talk about the sheep and we're the shepherd. No, I am a sheep too, all right? So I'm looking around on these hillsides at these, at these sheep, and they are just do-do-do-do-do-do. They're all over the place. And I see these shepherds, modern-day shepherds. They come walking around with their little shepherd's uh, hook, and they kind of draw them back in. Love that. I never once in all of that scenery when I was in Turkey and Greece saw a shepherd go over there and go, wah, wah, you dumb, wah, get wah. never once. No. Gentle, just kind of prodding them back into place, but knowing you can't go over there. There's trucks. It's flat, no more shit. You can't do that. Just lovingly, gently bringing them back. And when they fell all alone and they left the rest, the shepherd goes after them. And I, I love that Jesus said in John 10, 11, I'm the good shepherd. By the way, for those of you that feel beat up and abused in churches, that's what your pastors are supposed to be. In a very real sense, we ought to identify with you because we are sheep as well. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. Do you ever feel depressed when you realize and think about the brevity of life and you wonder, is this all there really is? I want to tell you this morning that life on this planet is not the end. The older I get, 46, I realize that in a very real sense, I don't think I could be an old man, a really old man. I mean, some of you think I am an old man. I think, man, if I, if I could live to be 90, that'd be awesome. But I was thinking the other day, that means I'm halfway. I mean, like, the, about time to turn the thing over, right? Do you ever think about that and go, wow, is this all there really is? That I just, I, I go to work, I, you know, you know I, I go to school, I, I get married, I have some kids, I get a job, and, and I, I, I retire, and I sit by the seashore, and I collect seashells, and then all of a sudden I get really sick, and I go to a nursing home or to a hospital, and then I die? That's really depressing to think about that, isn't it, if we're honest? I'm so thankful as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ to be able to proclaim to you today that this is not the end. He said, Jesus said, I am the resurrection. Because I rose from the dead, one day you will as well. And let me tell you this, you will spend eternity someplace. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and I am the life. And because he lives We'll live also. So if I die today, I'm satisfied, as Abraham said. I'm satisfied. Because I know, as the old chorus goes that we sang when I was a kid, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasure is laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I can't stay at home in this world anymore. 
That's all possible because Jesus is the resurrection and he's the life. Book of Acts chapter 4 verse 12 made it very clear and there's salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that's been given among men by which we must be saved. So the big idea is this. People prefer options. When it comes to heaven, there's only one option. And it is Jesus alone. He said, I am the way, not a way. I am the truth, not a truth. And I am the life, not a life. That's how we come into a relationship with the God of the universe. And we enjoy that relationship that he created us to enjoy. And apart from Jesus, you and I will never experience true soul satisfaction in this life or the life to come. Let's pray.